0: Hey, welcome to the 138th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing.
1: I'm Matt Enlow, And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we have a couple fun segments. We are revisiting Jamai Youssef, who is a film student at USC Film School. She's getting her master's degree there in film. We're going to catch up with her on uh, how her short films are going. And we are constantly trying to answer that question, which we, I think, literally talked about in the first episode of, is it worth going to film school or not? Uh, yes. and I think I think she gives a pretty satisfying answer. We're getting a real time response and experience from Jemai
0: in the trenches in film school. We're learning what she learned, what she likes, what she doesn't like. She likes most of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's a pretty positive person. She's having a great time. So uh, live vicariously through Jemai Yusuf, who's going to, I would say, the very best film school of all time.
1: USC. It's definitely in the top twenty <laughs> in California. <laughs> And after Jamai, we're going to talk to Steve Vitolo. He is a writer and also an app developer. He wrote an app called Scriptation. Steve is really insightful.
0: He's really smart. And he has a great story about how he started out at the very bottom entry level as a PA, worked his way up as a a writer's assistant and a script coordinator, and then became a full-fledged writer. And how all of that experience has informed the whole process of creating Scriptation. So it's a great story if you're interested in the other sides of filmmaking and the kind of the other ways that your creativity can blossom and also the inner workings of TV and how that can kind of inform your creativity in surprising ways.
1: Yeah, for sure. He's been in pretty much every comedy room you can think of. He wrote the season finale of Blackish that just aired a few months ago. And so, yeah, he definitely will give you the insight of the writer's track into Hollywood. Before we start talking to Jemai, I just want to remind everyone we've got a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. It is a way that if you really like this show, feel like you're getting something out of it and want to be a part of it in some way, you can give us a buck a month, four bucks a month, ten bucks a month, four thousand dollars a month. Uh, We will use that money to pay our editors to throw events, uh, to pay for all of our expenses to host this podcast.
0: Yeah, you know, just kind of on that note, actually. Just in the last week or two, you and I have been faced with a few decisions that involve money. Some listeners will notice that, like, you know, we've been doing a few more remote uh, interviews because not everyone is Los Angeles based. And, like, there are a few decisions where I literally would say to you, like, hey, man, this is what the Patreon money is for. Let's go ahead and spend this to make the show better without it being a stress point for us. And so remote recordings, live events, a little bit more advertising to help grow the community a little bit more. All of that stuff is part of what Patreon is helping fund in addition to making sure that Chris and Jay are taken care of. Um, and So basically what I'm saying is it may seem like a small amount of money, but it is actually making the show better and easier and growing it. And so thanks, guys.
1: Yeah. And for sure, it is worth mentioning that we are also going to do another live show on December 5th at Sawhorse Productions in Studio City. We are going to have a lot more details. We're going to have some really fun guests. We're going to be with all the Sawhorse people who have actually hired some of our podcast listeners to edit and work there. They make a ton of commercials, music videos, TV shows. They edit, they produce, they shoot They've
0: been guests on the show We talk about them all the time
1: Yeah, so uh, please come It's going to be December 5th I think it's a Thursday night I think that's right, yeah There's going to be drinks and food and fun And it's a great networking opportunity So um, yeah, we'll get more details out But put it on your calendar December 5th, just shoot it, live show Hooray! Without any further ado, let's talk to Jemai So Jemai... How's it going?
2: Hi, it's going well.
1: Yeah, how's uh, how deep into film school are you now?
2: There's actually only about four weeks left of the semester.
1: Ooh, great, awesome.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's like almost over.
1: Uh, are you relieved that it's almost over?
2: Well, I mean, it's not actually over yet. <laughs> uh, so I just filmed last this past weekend my second film of the semester. So I guess I am a little relieved that that is done, Mm -hmm. but they're still editing.
0: And remind us, is there one more film to do after this in this semester or no?
2: Well, I'm not directing another film, but as part of my group, we have like one more group member who's filming next weekend. Gotcha. And the way it works out, I'm going to edit the next person's film.
0: Cool. Cool. So um, how do you feel having just wrapped your second film?
2: It's pretty crazy. I can't believe that I've actually made two films in such a short period of time. You know, even when I talk to my family, they're like, wait, what, you're filming again? (laughs) And I've definitely learned a lot, like even more than I kind of thought I would learn just in one semester. So it's kind of cool to see my own kind of like personal progression.
1: That's awesome. Any takeaways that you can share with our audience?
2: Well, I've learned a lot about lighting and cinematography. And I think, you know, the program did a good job of kind of starting us off early on and throwing us (laughs) onto sound stages, doing a bunch of things I've never done before. And yeah, and I've also, I mean, just because of time, We've had to put together projects and cast and, like, write scripts in a really, really short period of time. So, like, that's been interesting to see just how little time it can take to make a film.
1: Right. And do you feel like it's, like, all-encompassing? Like, would you be able to sustain, like, a, a side job while you're doing this? Or is it pretty much a full-time job?
2: So I am a little unique in that I have a job and an internship right now. And that's like not recommended.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) Um, But, you know, I've been surviving. Um, Thankfully, like my internship is really flexible. So, you know, I don't have to go there many hours a week. And if I have to return some film equipment, they're like, okay, if I come in late, that sort of thing. Um, But... Yeah, I mean, I've I've been able to do all three, but I definitely would have recommended to maybe just do either the job or the internship. (laughs) Well, uh,
0: there's that old saying, um, you know, if you want something done, assign it to a busy person.
2: Oh, Um, no. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I think like you're, you just, when you're focused and you're just in tune with exactly what needs to get done, it's a lot easier to actually just kind of get it all done on a timeline and get it moving faster Mm because you know uh i remember thinking in film school like boy this was just like so hard like so much hard work Mm -hmm. and it was but in terms of like just the um, number of hours you typically log in a career it's not so gnarly it's Mm -hmm. more like that incubation time is important it's time to you need time to reflect on what you've learned and think about it and process things and all that the actual work of shooting like over a weekend it's like you know that's not that much compared to working on a tv show for instance you know what i mean
2: yeah yeah that's true and even like you know our films are still really short um like the film that i just shot our script is only three pages long Mm -hmm. and it just made me think like how do people shoot like 10 pages in a day Like, what how do they do this (laughs) so yeah
1: right well I I'm curious when you're making these uh these film school films are you still like kind of thinking about film festivals and your career and how this works into or how this fits into your repertoire as a director or is it more like I got an assignment and I'm going to do my best, the best job I can and finish it and then move on. Like, I guess, how is this in, uh, integrated into like building your own career as a director compared to just like exercise and learning?
2: You know, I think that everyone is coming at this, you know, in their own way. I I definitely think, especially uh, depending on what background you're already coming from, because you know, a lot of people, this is their first time even working with an actor, for example. So I do think that some people are really using it to um, focus on maybe one aspect and use that as a learning experience. Um, well, I definitely, I, I just, I guess I'm like the type of person where if I put in so much work into something, I just like I want to be able to you know share it with people. <laughs> so I've definitely. Um, I would, like, really like to send my films off this film festival. I did a horror for my first one, and I feel like, you know, there's a ton of, like, niche film festivals that that might, you know, work out. And, and I just, you know, really tried to make something that, you know, I could be really proud of. And then also the, the actors, like the sad actors that I'm working with would also, you know, have something that they could be proud of. So, yeah, I definitely... Trying to, I've definitely been thinking about how each film that I make fits in with my like portfolio, as mm-hmm. you might say.
0: Remind me, are there any restrictions on the film? Is mm-hmm. is it full dialogue? Is it full color? Is it, or are there kind of quirks to the program?
2: So the first film we made this semester, there was no dialogue. Mm-hmm. It's a very unique, you know, thing that I've, I've personally never done before, and then this that we just did there you could have dialogue um but besides that there's not really restrictions. you know people are doing documentaries some people are doing experimental films and it's pretty free in that regard
1: that's cool how did your first film turn out like are you happy with it
2: yeah i so i made a horror film uh about a woman who has a recurring nightmare and there's a demon in her nightmare. And then she uses lucid dreaming to, you know, kind of fight that and stop that nightmare. So I created like a creature basically, and that's something that I've you know, never done before. Um, and that was really fun. And I feel like a lot of people, maybe me included, weren't exactly sure that how that was gonna work out. But I think overall people, people were sufficiently freaked out. So oh, that has awesome. been entertaining to watch. When,
0: when you made The Creature, was it uh, something that you did practically or digitally practically. or a mixture? Oh, fine. Cool. Tell yeah. us a little more about that. Like what, what were the materials that you used?
2: So basically what I did is I had I cast two actors to together make one creature and i painted them black with you know body paint and i attached like long fingernails to them so the monster itself is pretty much just four arms Mm -hmm. but you know with the way that they look and then the way that we shot it it kind of you know there's kind of a hint that there might be you know something more and just the hands themselves were able to you know kind of be scary enough which is what i was going for and i'm like really glad it worked out (laughs) so yeah
0: yeah that's awesome what a smart Mm. clean solution you know Mm. like rather than getting stuck with like a puppet or like trying to do things digitally or
2: yeah no i don't know how to do visual effects so i was like (laughs) ah well we're just gonna cast people (laughs) yeah great
0: That's
1: that's awesome and so do you have any kind of tips that or things that you learned from shooting that of like how to make something scary
2: You know, it's so interesting because I'm not a horror person, (laughs) per se, so I definitely went in and kind of just went with what might scare me, if that makes sense. So I felt like if I was sufficiently freaked out, then, you know, at least, you know, somebody else would be. And I feel like a lot of it came through in the editing because the way I edited it, there was lots of like you know jump cuts and things like that. And in the sound design, I added some like sound effects of tearing flesh and things like that. (laughs) I feel like all of those elements together like heightened it from just, oh, this is like a cool like makeup thing to like, oh, wait, what's happening? I'm kind of afraid.
1: right that's awesome i feel like with that stuff it's always hard to figure out how much to show versus how much to hide and like how quickly to show mm-hmm. the visuals mm-hmm. cuz it's like if you show them for too long it becomes like not scary mm-hmm. um but if you show them for too short it's like hard to process what you're even seeing yeah it's a and, real yeah.
0: exercise in just clarity Yeah, Yeah. learning how to communicate with the audience.
1: And like lighting them in silhouette is scary sometimes but also... Mm -hmm.
2: I did some of that, yeah.
1: You want to see stuff, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, that's awesome. So what's your next short going to be?
2: So the next one, the one that I just filmed, is about an angel of death (laughs) that is basically conflicted about killing somebody that she has uh, tied up in the back of the trunk of her car. So again, it's very dark and it's interesting because i was going for just like a fantasy type of thing but you know just being on set and with the script i feel like it might even be scarier than the first film that i did you know this semester um and this time we played with like some really cool makeup we had her kind of um like kind of tears of blood type of look for Mm -hmm. one thing and like
0: did you get the eye droppers like the the blood eye droppers
2: we use so I have a classmate, and by the way, all of my classmates have hidden talents, which is mm-hmm, amazing. Sure. Yeah, and she made red eyeshadow out of lipstick on set. Uh, cool. cool. <laughs> and then I had some fake blood that I don't know how she somehow did something, <laughs> and it looks really cool. Uh, and it, with this one, is a lot about like lighting and. I'm purposefully mixing like different religious like iconography so because I'm because I'm Muslim and so uh, there's some of that in there but then there's also like Catholicism in there so it's just like a really interesting like world building exercise that I did with this one so I won't see how it turns out in the edit so yeah.
1: That's awesome. And do you get to choose your own DP or how does that work?
2: So we are actually signed. I'm not sure if this works the same in like every class in my uh, cohort, but we were assigned into groups of three where one person is your cinematographer and one person is your editor and like sound recordist. So we, I so the first so two weeks ago, I filmed someone's film and now she's gonna edit this film. And the person who filmed my film is going to shoot next week, and I'm going to edit his film.
1: Oh wow! So you were the DP on the last on someone's mm-hmm. project?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the first time, I've never done that before.
1: Oh um, wow! So, mm-hmm. I wonder if it can get does that get political? Like, because I'm assuming that some people come in with like having yes. shot TV shows, and other people Lauren, yes. Oh. <laughs> she
0: doesn't want to complain about classmates, so I will say. One hundred percent without a doubt. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. But sometimes I feel like you get you probably discover new things. I mean, that's what film school is about. Right. Obviously, right. you can discover that. Oh, you might love actually cinematography more than directing. Mm-hmm. But you also might discover that this person like you look at directors like Steve McQueen, you know, who's like a a stage director and how he shoots movies in kind of his own way that you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe you kind of get that when you're taking someone that's like a writer director and saying, hey, you're the DP on this thing, you mm-hmm. know, you get or, or um, like that Boots Riley movie. I haven't seen it, but I've heard wow. that it's like kind of crazy. It right? is. Uh, um, <laughs> and people say that it's like a movie. It looks like a movie made by, made by a person who like doesn't know the rules of filmmaking. And that's why it's so cool, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. It seems seems yeah. exciting
2: yeah we have so many like different people just with within my small class alone that there's really not that much overlap in terms of the types of films that we make Mm -hmm. so that has been really cool just like the film i shot is a film that like i probably like would not have ever made so it was like really cool to work on that and you do
1: you write all your own stuff
2: uh, in terms of school, I think for the most part, everyone has been writing their own stuff, but we're allowed to work with you know, uh, other people's scripts or co-writers or adapting materials. Um, I've ri- I've written with a co-writer in the past, and I would love to do that again. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see how that, that happens. Yeah,
1: that's cool. Well, yeah, so I guess. My final question, and Matt, you can obviously add on to this if you have something else, but a question that we just constantly get from our listeners is like, you know, should I spend my money on making a feature or should I spend my money on going to film school? And it sounds like you've already, in such a short time, made two shorts, you've learned a ton. Like, what's your... You still feel all in on, like, film school is the best way to go?
2: Well, I know that, personally, I could not just go and make a feature film right now like i felt like there was a lot of things that i still needed to learn and i also know that i like you know learning in a school environment Mm -hmm. and i've already made like a ton of really 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 great friends in this short period of time so i am definitely on the film school board right now
1: (laughs) right and you feel like those friends like is it becoming obvious to you how You're all going to help each other, like beyond film school.
2: Yeah, it's it's clear how, kind of like you said, some people you can already tell that maybe they want to be a cinematographer, or just how like some people have hidden talents, like, or some people um, come from like music, for example. Like, I had a classmate who made music for my first film, so I just there's all these different talents, and I think that there are a lot of there's a lot of like complementary characters here you know what i mean so, so right. yeah
1: yeah it's yeah. so awesome i'm so jealous right now <laughs> <laughs> i've been trying to make a short film for like four years i just can't <laughs> get my act together i keep getting distracted by mm. you know podcasts <laughs> <laughs> yeah by podcast recording um Good. no but yeah. it's you know how cool is it that you're like hey here's a bunch of people and you guys have to make stuff okay. yeah and, and there's a rhythm to it which i like very much Oh, yeah. um, so
0: I want to ask, actually, do you know after the semester, you'll have, you'll have your two films and you'll have shot a couple and edited a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the next group of classes that you'll be taking? What's the next thing you tackle after after break?
2: So next semester is a very uh, famous 508 class <laughs> here at USC where we are assigned to be in a trio from the end of this semester. Mm-hmm. So three people split up into, you know, one person is producing and editing or one person is directing and one person is doing the cinematography and production design. And we rotate throughout the semester. So as a trio, we create three films next semester. Uh, so that and that is something where we don't you know get to choose who we work with. They're assigned and it's a real exercise in collaboration. So that is really coming up on the horizon i think we find out our trios next week so that should be interesting
0: (laughs) did you get to request people at all or is it purely just
2: it's like purely random Mm -hmm. but there are so many great people so you know i feel like there's very high chance of success (laughs) like Mm -hmm. As it is right now, at least. But there's just been horror stories that, you know, have been passed down throughout the generations. Sure. I, you
0: know, I think that is kind of going back to Oren's question about like, oh, you know, are you thinking of this more as an exercise or are you trying to craft a really great reel? So when you, you know, enter the workforce, you have like your voice really crystal clear and you've been making nothing but, you know, things that all kind of match your own brand. Mm-hmm. I think that's being randomly paired with people kind of in a weird way takes the pressure off mm-hmm. from trying to craft a brand or a reel this early on because, like, mm-hmm. inevitably, there's going to be a cinematographer or a editor or somebody who's like still learning and like not exactly who they wouldn't be your first choice if this were a professional mm-hmm. job, right? Mm-hmm. And so don't worry about it. Make mistakes, mm-hmm. figure things out, figure out what you like, mm-hmm. and then, you know, make the really polished stuff, you know, in a year or two. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, I feel that's like good advice. That, I, I feel like that makes sense. The thesis film that I worked on, there were a few nights that were just complete disasters. The kind of stories that mm-hmm. you, I'm sure, have heard about 508s, so where it's just like things... Fall apart, and like we like, got like two shots in a single overnight <laughs> shoot. That's not an exaggeration, oh that's God. literally what happened. Um, and uh, at the end, I was like, Hey, like this movie's not going to be that good no matter what. Like, there's very few student films that are great, mm-hmm. and so like the point is just make some mistakes, learn what you like, learn what you don't want to ever do again, and then
1: and take risks, you know. right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And so, if you're worried about like, Oh man, like. I need to make a 30 second spot that like feels just like an AT&T ad, (laughs) then you're probably not finding your voice in the same way that you should be, Mm -hmm. you know?
2: For sure. And, you know, things have been, have gotten really like, you know, personal in terms of like our writing classes and our prompts and things like Uh that. So I feel like in some ways they really are trying to make us, you know, kind of look within ourselves and, you you know, find the stories you want to tell all of that in a really real way though so that's been interesting and definitely something i probably wouldn't have done if i wasn't at film school mm-hmm.
1: well so exciting yeah that sounds really cool well cool thanks for letting us uh okay. hear what's going on we're excited to check in with you again in a couple months and just kind of see how things progress
2: thank you is
0: that one one final question is there anything you were surprised by anything that kind of shook up your expectations
2: I, I feel like I've been surprised just like by myself. I came in, you know, kind of being a little nervous, like, oh, I don't know about cinematography and lighting, blah, blah, blah. But just during classes, I realized that all the, all the time I spent watching YouTube videos and like reading articles, <laughs> some of that has actually sunk in. <laughs> so I feel like I'm learning or even just gaining more confidence in myself, you know, throughout film school so far that's been great (laughs) so yeah
1: well that's a wonderful surprise (laughs) (laughs) hopefully we get to see some of your shorts at some point yeah
2: um um, i might you know eventually put them up on my website so i guess keep an eye on that
1: and what's your website again
2: so my website is jemaiyusuf.com that's spelled jumaiyusuf dot com.
0: Cool. That- yeah, and let us know. Uh, let us know when you post it. We can uh, tweet it out. Let listeners check things out.
2: Cool. Thanks.
0: Awesome. Well, till next time, Jemai. <laughs>
2: okay. Bide on. <laughs> <laughs> bye <Bite Jemai. on. laughs> <Okay. laughs>
0: Yeah, it was so awesome talking with Jamai. Let's hop into our conversation with Steve Vitolo.
1: So, hey, Steve.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, thank you for chatting with us. Um, you are a listener of our podcast, which is crazy.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you... yeah, we, um, my uh, marketing director and, and we were listening to a podcast and we, and we heard the company that we, uh, the company I created. I'm like, oh, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean
0: that's
1: awesome for us too, man. That's uh, such a treat. Uh, you are a writer and you own an app company. Uh, yes, I've um,
3: I, I worked as a, a script coordinator for many years and, and gotten some freelance episodes on on shows like Hot in Cleveland and and Blackish. And I um, started um, Scriptation app, which is uh, used by a bunch of. Um, i it was used a bunch on Blackish, and it's used by um, film TV shows and um, anywhere from a production assistant to a cinematographer writer director manager agent sort of
1: all those people all, all across the board awesome and so let's let's start at the beginning for a second so you were a script coordinator on in which shows uh, so many <laughs> um, I mean they've been oh god I'd have to look at my
3: IMDB but I think my resume had like 20 plus shows that I'd worked on because when you work in in television um don't get too comfortable
1: <laughs> are most of the rooms that you work in comedy
3: uh, primarily my first um uh, job was on Smallville and I worked in the writer's office so that's the only drama that I've worked on um but primarily everything else has been a comedy and um <laughs> I really want to look at my IMDb because there are just so many oh well one of the first shows I worked on was Hannah Montana that was 10, oh gosh, how long ago was that now? 10, 10 plus years, I think, at least 10 years ago. And that was my first writer's assistant job. I'm how sorry, that wasn't writer's that, assist- that was my first writer's production assistant job. Big difference. Um, writer's assistant is you're in the room with the writers taking notes, um, working in the script. Writer's production assistant, slightly different, you're getting coffee. <laughs> right um, getting the writers lunches, making copies, distributing all that stuff. Um,
0: but it, you can move into being the writers. Yeah, that's the
3: goal. So that, and that's the only yeah. way I knew how to navigate this business and you know attempt to become a writer was to just work my way up. I mean I started before Hannah, Montana. Um, I started as a production assistant on some award shows. Um, I was working on the uh, Academy Awards for a couple of years um, as a production assistant. Not as glamorous as it sounds. <laughs> um, <laughs> show night was fantastic because I didn't have to do yeah, anything. One night a year, it's incredibly It's glamorous. really good. But also when, you, <laughs> yeah. um, w- when you're working on the Oscar, like it's like three, I started at the, one year I started like right at the beginning. I was one of the first production assistants hired. And I think it was like three or four months of prep for this one night that's three, a little over three hours long. Um, Yeah, it was, it's just so much work. And we were working at a Sony and then we moved to the Kodak Theater um, for the last couple of weeks. And yeah, show night's great because I don't, I didn't really have to do anything. Um, But uh, yeah, that was, that was real tough work and I had I, worked on a few different award type shows live event shows but I knew that I wanted to I mean I came out to Los Angeles to write and um, I knew I needed to get into the writer's office somehow and actually my first um, production assistant job on a scripted show was for the middle um, mm-hmm. Oh, cool! but yeah, it was not for the middle um, that you guys know with uh, Patricia Heaton um, mm-hmm. it was actually developed two years before that. Instead of Patricia Heaton, it was Ricky Lake. Oh. Yes. <laughs> well,
1: so let's jump into your script coordinator yeah. days. What, are, what is a script coordinator? What does a script coordinator so do? So a script
3: coordinator on a comedy and a drama is slight, basically the same with little differences. So a script coordinator on a comedy um, is, well, your, your primary job is to get the script in the right formatting shape. Um, and you're, you're basically like the one word uh, or the one sentence uh, job description is you're the liaison between the writer's office and the production office. So that means that you get the script in shape, you um, distribute the script, you deal with legal and clearance issues, you go to production meetings and tone meetings, um, and you're working with other departments getting different things um, through uh, you know, legal and clearance, and uh, it's your responsibility for everything that goes wrong in scripts, which is cool. Um, and in, when you work in a, in a comedy room, and I, I don't know why this is the case exactly, but comedy script coordinators have a lot of writer's assistant duties as well, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is there a writer's assistant, or is it just a script Hopefully. Um, I know on some shows they just have a script coordinator and that is rough. Um, I, w- I worked on a show where there was a script coordinator and he was begging and begging for writer's assistant. And um, finally halfway through the season I came on as the writer's assistant to help him out because um, if you're a script coordinator on a show and, and I just I was watching a, a major show. I forget what it was. It was on Netflix and it said script coordinator slash writer's assistant. And I'm like, oh, my God. That person doing both jobs, that's rough. Um, but yeah, so it, um, if you're doing that alone, then you're in the writers, you're taking notes, um, you're working in the script, and then you're also putting out the script and going to meetings and coordinating with other departments, and that's really, really tough. Um, so, in, in,
1: And is it the type of job where you get paid overtime if you're working long hours?
3: Well, they're unionized now, which just happened little less than a year ago so it's it's slightly better the pay isn't great um that that wasn't what uh writer's assistants and script coordinators necessarily fought for although they should have but they did um they did get overtime rates and and things like that because you know i've never had this experience i've i've fortunately worked with really nice people um and really great showrunners, but there are some people, especially on dramas that will be waiting in their office script coordinators until like two, three in the morning yeah. or on weekends, they'll get something like, okay, be on call. And then you'd do some work at like two or three o'clock or whatever for two hours, put out the script. And then the line producer on the show will be like, okay, well you work two hours. So put down your two hours. But you're like, no, but like I right. have to be on call all day by my computer. Yeah, I was like,
0: in the office, yeah. Right,
3: yeah. or like, you, yeah, or you go in, go in the office. So now there are um, some restrictions against that, thankfully. But yeah, it, it could be rough in terms of, and especially if you're on a first season show. I've been on for, uh, first season multicam shows, and you are, I mean, you get through with your run through at like five o'clock, you get network notes, and like then you're rewriting the entire script and have to put it out
1: that night. Right, right. And so on, Blackish—that's the show you're on right now, right? Yeah.
3: It, well, it was a show I was on for season three and
1: season four, and you ended up writing the season finale of season four. Uh, yeah,
3: it just somehow happened that me and the writer's assistant, we, the the showrunner, um, the creator of the show, and, and um, Kenya Barris and Corey Nickerson, who was running the room, had mentioned to me. And sometimes on shows, you you ask. If you can write episodes um black is just such a a big show that seemed presumptuous and and um i wanted to really earn the script on that show so me me and the writer's assistant were just doing a good job pitching art pitching jokes and um and then at some point during the season they um corinne egerson said hey we're, we're thinking of giving you a script and and it it somehow worked out that it was the final just the way um, episodes were like falling to people. It, it turned out it was the season finale. And it also turned out that it was part of this major arc in the show where the two main characters are getting divorced or are, sorry, are separated um, and are heading towards divorce. And we uh, had the episode where they have to come back together. Um, so it was challenging um, and a lot of responsibility. And, and I think when they had told us the that we um, were getting to write that episode, when they were getting into the arc, like maybe we should let the professionals write this one. Um, but yeah, I think we uh, ended up doing a good job with it and uh, didn't go through that many rewrites. So that, you know, that's always good.
0: Hey, hey. well done. Well, you know, I, I want to take a, a quick deeper dive on that just because I think that a lot of our listeners are going to be curious. And I have a vague understanding, but not as concrete a one as I would like. You mentioned earlier that like, you would get some freelance episodes. So it's my understanding that like most network shows kind of have a few slots earmarked for people outside of the room. Is
3: that right? You know, I think shows, I think that's how it's supposed to go. I think that's a writer's mm-hmm. guild thing where a certain mm-hmm. percentage of the show um, needs to be with a freelance writer. I'm not entirely sure. But sometimes like I've been on shows where they, they give it to uh, the creators of the show or the showrunners will give it to friends, and that'll be like the freelance episode. But that person isn't really writing the episode. Well, they are. Uh, different writers' rooms work differently. I mean, um, some comedy rooms, you're group writing the show. So I've worked on um, some multi-camera shows where we've each written a scene. So we we break, and this is true on on pretty much every comedy I I've, I worked on. Um, We break the show together. So um, everybody in the room will come up with the, you know, we'll bounce story ideas off each other and even do broad beats and kind of semi outlines together where we're working on a board. So that is in in comedy writers rooms. That's, you know, 90 plus
1: percent how it how it works. and wait, when what do you mean when you say we're working on a board? Like someone is standing at a whiteboard with like a yeah. Writer? So a writer's assistant, or
3: maybe a lower level writer, or on some shows, I, I had a there was a co-executive producer that that just liked the board and liked writing on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it'll be any one of those people in the writer's room um, when we're breaking things out. So either we'll do like broad beats and say like cold open, this happens, and then act one, this happens, and then we list out the scenes. Um, and then we'll do a deeper dive into that, and, and really do an outline, like what turns into a maybe seven-page outline or so. Really draw, do that on the board. So that's what we did on black. Is it was really detailed, really detailed notes.
0: And, and just just to clarify, then, so you're you're on the board, you're you're breaking things out, and then is there ever a process where like you're throwing it into a word document and then projecting that up on the wall or on the TV through an Apple TV or like you group writing it to mm. that extent or is or is the writer's assistant kind of taking that and then kind of turning it into an outline based off of the notes that were in there. So room.
3: from my experience in comedies um, and again, there's no like hard and fast rule. this is just you know based on in based on the rooms sure. that I've worked on, Uh, you're working on the board. The writer's assistant is making those notes and I'll give you kind of two examples. So on one show um, we took those notes, sent it out to all the writers. And then on, on this particular show, each writer would go and write a scene or two. And then they would in an outline and they would email that to the writer's assistant. The writer's assistant would put it all together and email that whole outline back out to the writers. Um, the writers would go through it, and then sometimes we would work the, on the outline in the room, but some, sometimes not. Um, um, we, would, we would then go through it, and then we'd submit that to the studio and network, and then once that gets approved, then the same writers who wrote those, those um, outline scenes would write the script scene, and they would then, and it was usually done over a weekend, And then they would send their final draft files to the script coordinator who would put it all together and then send out the script to everyone to read it. And then we would work on that in the room together. And that's what Mm -hmm. happens most of the time is you'll get, and we so that on that show, that's a writer's draft, right? When everyone puts it together and then they read it and go through it. Um, On other shows, what happens is um, you get on the board, you make all of your notes, and instead of giving it to all the writers, you give it to one writer, and they go through the same process. So they write their outline. They give it to the executive producers. The executive producers give their notes to the writer. Um, that goes to the studio network. Um, that writer then does a writer's draft. That comes into the room. The script coordinator sends out the writer's draft to all the writers. They read it, and now we're working on. And now we're back to that place that all shows are generally at which is everyone reads the writer's draft and then it's open in a final draft document in the writer's room projected on a board and we're all working on it together.
0: Right. So I think that the thing that's really helpful, that this whole process illustrates beyond just kind of understanding the inner workings of how different writer's rooms work. I think it really illustrates how if, you know, there are freelance opportunities for Different uh, from different shows, how the people who are in the room, right? The, the most junior people, the hungriest people, but also people who are in the room and aware of the DNA of the show and have been pitching things and contributing, like basically your writer's assistant, assistant your script coordinator, sometimes even your writer's PA, those are the people who it ma- just makes the most sense for them to get those freelance episodes.
3: Well, hopefully. I mean, you have to... Uh, a couple of things have to go right, you know. One, you have to be talented. Um, well, sure. Hopefully, um, but um, two, uh, you need to be on a show where that's the culture of the show, or work with a showrunner where that th- they do that. So, I've worked with, and I, I'm not going to name names here, but I, I've worked with showrunners that just don't promote and don't give freelances to their assistants. Like mm-hmm. they just don't do it. Right, and I worked with a very, uh, on a couple of shows, um, I worked with a very nice, I mean, I really liked him as a person, um, but he just like doesn't give, and I, I had to learn that, you know, working with him, is like, okay, what's this guy's like history here, and I've heard stories since then, where um, writer's assistants, had to threaten to quit, and then they finally got a freelance, and then he wouldn't staff them, so they left the show, uh, you know, blackish when I was there, it's another reason why I, I, didn't you know? Outwardly ask for a for a script was because I knew that was in the culture of the show that they do give freelances to their writers' assistants, um, and I just know that if I did a good job, then um, as an as an assistant, just obviously do your job. You know, that's that's the number one goal: do right. your job, um, but also um, you know help in the in a creative way, and you know any jokes I could pitch here or story ideas there, or you know contribute that'll help. So I was, you know, I didn't ask. I was just um, hoping that they would, you know, recognize that I was, you know, trying and, um, you know, I get an opportunity. Yeah. It is funny how there's a lot of um, entry level positions that are so
0: hard and so rare that you get somebody who's incredible at them. I think about like PAs in particular, like you get a really, really great PA. It almost hurts to promote them because then you have to start from scratch with someone who doesn't know what they're yeah. doing and it's the same with assistant and like there's a lot of that culture in in hollywood and those jobs it, and it's so, such a
3: bummer it's it, the boss though it yeah. really is it's yeah. it's you have to do you know investigative work on your boss and when you're first yeah. starting out you're like oh, okay i'll take any job at any rate like i just want to get in the room and yeah, when you're starting, like you want to break into a writer's room, and like that's the holy grail. Like I'm in, I've got my foot in the door. But um, once you worked on a couple of shows, um, and you can afford, and you you know, you could afford to pick and choose, then it's like, okay, well, what is the history of this show? What is the history of this the showrunner that I'm working with? Are they are they good to their assistants? Do they promote? Um, so that's when you have to start thinking about those things, and it's kind of like a beggars can be choosers sort of thing. But um, you know, you, you gotta respect yourself, and 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 you have to make moves that are, are good for your career. You can't just be being this assistant that's unappreciated and working, you know, your ass off until two in the morning, and then have a have a guy that's never going to promote you, and then you're just wasting your time on this show. And the only thing you can hope in those situations. Is that, and, and this has happened to me, where you, the other writers on the show um, will then hire you when they get their own shows. Um, right. And really, that's kind of the silver lining on any of those scenarios. So if you're uh, an assistant stuck, a writer's assistant stuck on a show right now that's like that, where your boss just ain't going to promote you, the other writers uh, are noticing
1: um, mm-hmm. and hopefully they will. And then you could jump ship and go with them. Right. So you've been a script coordinator on over twenty shows. Uh, yeah. Hope. Uh, let me know if this is too personal. But so, does, do you have like an agent? No. <laughs> like- um,
3: it's really, um, just connections that I've made with other writers or even line producers. I there's a there's a line producer that I'm very close with. He came to my wedding. Um, and I've worked with him like seven times. So. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, d- definitely when writers develop their own pilots, um, and you're doing a good job on the show that you were on, you're kind of like unless they have their script coordinator already in mind and they've worked with them forever, um, you know, if 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 that's if you're the script coordinator on the last show that they've worked on as a writer and you're good, they'll be like, yeah, come and coordinate my pilot. So that's and and then hopefully that pilot goes to the series and then you have your job for you know, the next six months or so or hopefully
1: longer. But so, but what about getting staffed on a TV show? Isn't that something that usually happens through an agent? An agent shares your materials with. Yeah. Your, I haven't, I haven't been,
3: I mean, I've, I've written,
1: um, I thought
3: when I wrote a freelance on a show or even when I was a script coordinator on a big show that I, um, would sign with an agent or a manager, but it's a situation where, Kind of like the chicken or the egg, where you've got to be staffed on a show to get an agent, um, but you can't Mm -hmm. be staffed on a show if you don't have an agent. So uh, it's—did I say that right? (laughs) Um, Yeah, no. It's it's, uh, at least in in my case, and you know I'm a white guy, (laughs) Um, so agents aren't exactly looking for me to uh, get a staff job on a show. Um, it's, there just isn't room for people like me at a staff writer level. I mean, I know
1: some of your listeners are going to say, oh, well, that's not true. Well, it is. Um, it's just, it's just the <laughs> well, truth. I mean, i yeah. Just in terms of like, if you're going to develop a new client. Right. I, I, why I'm take trying me to get them? Exactly. Staffed. Why take me? I mean, there's just, there's, there's less
3: at this point in breaking into a show. Um, there are less
1: opportunities for me um, than there would be some other people.
3: That's just the right, reality I, right now.
1: But wouldn't the answer to why I take you is like because he's worked on twenty TV yeah, shows? Yeah, you think, but that uh, that doesn't really matter. <laughs> it it
3: doesn't work like that right now.
0: Well, what's so fascinating to me about this is that um, I, I feel like you've got this perfect blueprint for how you become a software developer for this specific thing. Do you know what I mean? Like the, it, like if you were going to write a screenplay about a guy who came up with a piece of software to meticulously track all of the different changes in a creative field, who better than a person who literally has been doing it on 20 different well, TV shows thought... and done all of the, the hard parts of it? You know what I mean? You've done all the manual labor of it and realized like, oh, this is all something that you can do with computers now so why not be the guy who figures out how to yeah do i thought
3: it? you were going like because you're on 20 different shows because your shows keep getting canceled and you keep looking for a job so you have to figure something <laughs> else out and no i'll this tell is you your what well, i'll tell you what that was definitely part of it because i mean my first <laughs> my first I, I was working on a show called do not disturb Okay, it was my first writer's assistant job. It was in two thousand eight. I live in Culver City. It's at Sony. I'm like perfect. I'm gonna get a bike. I'm gonna go to work. This is gonna be fantastic. I don't have to drive to the Valley. And um, we were canceled with it. It was the first show canceled that season. So we get the award. <laughs> it was we aired three episodes and we were done. And I was there for like two months. I mean, it felt like forever. It was one of those shows where we were there till like two or three in the morning. And the showrunner was amazing, but like. He was just getting like everyone had an opinion on everything and um Mm -hmm. man it it, it was rough but yeah i mean i was on i've been on so many shows and um i was working on a pilot and we had it was kind of a weird production schedule where we had a table read and because of whatever you know product i don't know why maybe the actor's availability or something um, we had two weeks between the table read and when we started shooting and I had a boss who was doing a ton of rewrites on a script. Like every single night there was a a full fifty page rewrite of a script. So that means that I was printing out the script, giving it to my production assistant, and they were making a hundred plus copies, distributing it. And then the next morning, same exact thing. And everyone on the crew, all the notes that they made on that draft, they were then they got a new draft and they dumped the old draft. And it was just a huge waste of paper, but Um, and that's where I kind of started on this, like, and everyone in the production office was like, what are we doing? Like every night we're going through like five plus thousand sheets of paper, but also like from the productivity side, um, it was insane. So it's like people on the crew were making all their notes and then like remaking their notes the next day. So that's kind of the, you know, the brainstorm where it's like, well, why, you know, we're writing scripts digitally and why aren't we reading scripts digitally? Um. Okay, so we know you can make PDF annotations on a script. Like that's been, PDF annotation has been around for you know twenty, thirty years with Adobe. But now, like you get the new script, and now what? How can you move your annotations from one draft to the next? And that was when I kind of was like, okay, like if we can if we can get this tech right, then we're in business. You know, then we kind of have a company. <laughs> And that's how Scriptation started. It was, can we solve this problem of um, moving annotations in an, in an intelligent way from one draft of a script to another draft of the script? And
0: that's basically, that's kind of it in a nutshell, right? Like Scriptation, just to kind of clarify for everybody, it is an app that just tracks the changes in notes between different revisions on the script. Yeah,
3: so it tracks your notes, so, you know, use case like a director using them because they make a ton of notes. Um, so they will get scripts very early. So, in, in T, you know, in TV, they'll get maybe like a studio or a network draft, or they'll get like a pre table draft or a tone meeting draft. So they're getting the scripts super early. And they, mm-hmm. good directors at least, will do a lot of prep. So they'll take their script and they'll mark it up in all sorts of ways. Um, And if if they were using paper, they'd be using highlighters and pen and they'd be making drawings. When they're using scriptation, they're inserting photos and um, facing pages and making all sorts of markups. So they're doing this at a real early stage of the draft and they're doing it on like 50, 60 page scripts. Um, We've had directors um, send us scripts with three plus thousand annotations. So
1: they are really thorough. Um, so they're doing... Do you, yeah, Sorry to interrupt, but Matt, do you do that? Do you write a lot of notes on your scripts? Uh,
0: yeah, I'm uh, the exact use case where people are like, this dude is wasting so much paper. <laughs> I, Because I, I'm a real tactile person. I like to like print things out. I like to highlight. I like to like doodle. I like to throw alts in. And especially on the longer form stuff, people would be like, do you really need this printed out again? And I would be like, well, yeah. And I would spend a lot of time transferring the notes. But I kind of, uh, not to discredit scriptation at all, but I found something meditative about deciding whether or not I wanted to transfer the right notes. I mean, when, you, when you got the old draft and you got the new one and you're on page, you know, 65A or whatever, and you're kind of like, oh, do I need this person to say this alt? Or maybe I've come up with a better one, but that's just, you know, old right. fashioned
1: I'm like yes. the opposite. I'm so scared to lose any note I have. And I do, my first draft of my boards is always on on the script. Like I just draw, start drawing like what I think mm-hmm. are rectangles, but they're usually more like squares. Sure, um, little thumbnails basically. Yeah. yeah. I, I try to draw like 16 by 9 boxes, but they never, they're always weird. Um, correct like me the, if
0: I'm wrong, Steve, but scriptation, like you can doodle and like attach those doodles to like anchor them to different, scenes and things like that yeah
3: so if you wanted to make a drawing um you can well there are a couple things you could do um so i know a a lot of directors will be on location and they'll take photos and they'll insert them into the script um either in a facing page and we have a function for that where you can add facing pages so you're you're a pen and paper person right now we'll convert you um but you're a pen and paper person (laughs) right now um so a lot of pen and paper people one of the first major feature request that we got was they were saying, okay, like love scriptation, but I need more room to write. So when I have my my hard copy script and I turn the page over, I have a blank page on the back of it, right? So I can write all notes mm-hmm. on, the, on the facing page. And that way it just gives me more stuff to do. So that's one of the features that we added was that you can add facing pages and you could
1: also um, insert diagrams or pictures as their own pages as well Mm -hmm. and you can also use the stylus to just draw your own like thumbnail
3: sketches yeah the apple pencil was the most annoying thing and also the best thing for scriptation because of course apple releases a new thing and then right away everyone expects you to support it and you would (laughs) think that apple makes it easy to support their their devices and but uh, no <laughs> um, so that was you know there was some programming that needed to be done to support the Apple pencil but um, like palm rejection things like that once we did that uh, it really became that's kind of when scriptation started taking off when people were like okay like now I can really mimic the pen and paper experience because it's like I'm writing on paper I think and I'm saying we're gonna convert you is because when you know if you're work and why we have a lot of TV people um we have i would say mostly people working in the television business although we do have people on features and and independent movies and some commercials and even broadway um but especially in the tv business because everything's so structured right um Mm -hmm. you have all your prep and then um once you get into shooting you're going uh 12 hour days and you'll get some script revisions and um, then you got to shoot the next day. And people, you know, I've, I've had directors, you know, routinely tell me like it saves me four to five hours a week. And that's like <laughs> four to five hours a week of the crap they don't want to do. Right. Um, and that's that's kind of, you know, that's the pitch that I um, make to some of uh, the studio friends when when. Um, they were talking about getting scriptation and making it available through the studio. I I, I say, look like these are four to five hours a week that they don't have to do the bullshit (laughs) that they don't (laughs) want to do. And they could actually focus on like making it good and not like dealing with the clerical work. And then maybe like that'll save you some time and things will look better and everyone will be happier. Um, So that that's, you know, a lot of the feedback we're getting and why it's, um, been used so widely by TV directors and cinematographers and assistant directors.
1: That's cool. So, what's your pitch for like, let's say we have a listener that lives somewhere else, not LA, and is not in the in Hollywood, but is has you know written their indie film script in final draft, and they they are ready to shoot it. Uh, is that is scriptation something that's useful for them as well?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's um, if you're not using the
1: transferring notes feature, which Maybe you're not. Maybe you're
3: not getting a ton of drafts that you need to keep transferring notes um, back and forth, um, or I should say forth going forward. Um, But it's just nice to have everything with you on your device. So whether you have an iPad Mm -hmm. or an iPhone, um, you can just have that with you. So let's say you've had like five versions of the script, but now you're set and it's not going to be changed. You can go back and have tabs of all the other versions on your scripts. Maybe you need to recall a joke or this thing isn't working or you want to see what you had before. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, you know, go digital. Like, why, like, do you have even have a printer? Who has a printer at home anymore? Um, sure. You know. <laughs> I do.
0: Um, but it's still a heck of a lot easier than, like, taking a photo, printing it out, and then gluing it to your facing page or something
3: <laughs> Right, like yeah, gluing it to your page. I mean, we have people in the production office... Um, on a show where they're so we're writing it in final draft and then we're um, sending it to the printer and then they're creating sides by taking the printed pages xing the scenes that you know how sides are made right xing the scenes that you're not using and then recopying so not only are we printing and copying but now we're recopying paper and distributing Mm -hmm. it that is insane
1: it's 2018 and just for for listeners that don't know what sides are can you give us a quick explanation yeah
3: so sides are the scenes that you're shooting for the day so if you have a let's say a 30 page script with 30 scenes um, but you're shooting scene 1, 2, 5, 7, 15 um, you'll get those pages just those pages um, and if if a scene is on half a page so if you're shooting scene two um, but not three and three is like at the bottom half of the page then you'll just put like an X, in a Sharpie or hopefully in a computer program. And then um, (laughs) for whatever reason, (laughs) well, I guess for whatever reason, when you, when you recopy these things, they're printed at like 60 or 70%. So you can fold it up and fit it in your pocket. Yeah.
0: Mini pages. Yeah. Yeah. But
3: I have good news for people that um, do have sides on a show. We, we um, are releasing this, new mode on our phone and ipad but it's gonna be on our phone so it's called reader mode hopefully it's out by the time this podcast hits i pray um but uh it allows you because when you're looking at a script on your phone as a pdf um try it now just try it it's really hard to read you have to like magnify everything um so what we're coming out with is called reader mode and it will basically like uh, reader mode in safari. Like if you've ever used that function where you hit that thing at the top of the toolbar and it makes the text bigger. So that's what we have in um, scriptation and we keep all the same um, formatting that you see in a, in a movie script, but it's actually readable. So um, oh, cool. I think John August's app weekend read. Does it does. Yeah. It does that. something similar where you can actually read it on your phone. Um, so we're going to have that functionality as well. And uh, yeah, it's it's it, the the goal is so that people on set because even if you're not marking up a script, um, you've got sides in your back pocket. People are looking at their sides and looking at their phones, right? Um, let's just keep everyone on their phone.
0: Now you can't tell if they're working. It's or great for different. yes,
3: exactly. It's great for people working on shows. You can pretend like you're doing the work. I mean, come on.
0: Well, so let me ask though about the sides thing. Is there an option to like put the scenes in the shooting order for instance like like in the same way that you would get like your your mini pages would be you know in order basically of like either what you were shooting or they would like be in numerical order but like skipping over the, the scenes that you're not shooting that so day. we
3: have a sides mode it, that's separate from the reader mode i just talked about we have sides mode uh. in the app um and the cool thing about the sides mode in the app and we've, we've had it for a little while now but um what was really beneficial for me when i was when i did my episode of blackish and i was on set was that i was making my own sides with my notes on them because when you get sides from a production (laughs) office it's just they're just blank
0: so you just have to remember so now
3: like i had my sides with my notes on them and it was like a total i'm like yeah this is so obvious now i know exactly like okay like i don't have to cross reference between all these different scripts i have everything with me um so when reader mode comes out i don't know we're still trying to figure out how that sides feature is going to work within that reader mode i imagine we can do it in order but we're still talking about that but that would Hmm. where basically you get into reader mode and then you select the scenes so yeah it would make sense to put that in order so i'm sure we'll do that but that's still a work in progress
1: that's cool. So how how much does it cost? Like how can our, if our listeners want to mess around with this? Well, thing. we just went free, hopefully.
3: Um, if we're not free, we will be free soon. So you can uh, download the app. You could transfer notes and um, that will. And it's called it's Scriptation. It's called Scriptation. the Apple I- App Store. Yeah, it's called Scriptation. You can get it on iOS. Um, on If you get it for an iPad or an iPhone, you just have to get it once and it'll be on both devices. Um, so it's it's free to download. You can make all your annotations. Um, you could uh, transfer your notes between documents. Um, there are some features that you have to pay for as part of a, an annual or every three months you, you can pay for it. Um, but yeah, uh, it, we, we wanted to make it accessible to everyone without any sort of payment Barrier we wanted to give everybody annotation and and note transferring tools because and and reader mode because I mean I don't know why we're we're using paper right now. I really don't.
1: Well, awesome Well, I wanted to ask you one last question that's unrelated to scriptation, but that I'm sure Listeners are dying to hear your thoughts on which is if you were like a new filmmaker writer moving to LA today and you wanted to write for tv like what advice would you give right those people? <laughs> um there if you're
3: young um you you know you're not uh you probably don't have that much responsibility um hopefully you have some money saved now is the time so if you're moving out to la and you're in your early 20s it's different than being in your early 30s you're gonna have a lot more responsibility so when you're young and can do it just write write as much as you can um, write a pilot and write another pilot write a spec, write a feature just keep writing um, keep getting better find friends that you respect um, as writers or, or readers that can give you good notes um, don't when you're, when you're trying to get feedback don't send your script out to 20 people and get all these different notes and try and chase every, every one of them find a few people that you really respect, um, get notes from them and then keep writing and, uh, make connections, try and get, um, you know, try and get jobs on show. I mean, it's easier said than done, (laughs) but, um, you know, work your way up that that's, that's what I did. But I think, you know, paramount to everything else, um, write a good script and try and get it in, in somebody's hands.
1: Cool. Yeah. Great advice, man. So you've listened to our podcast before. Yes. Uh and so you do you know we do this segment called Unpaid Endorsements. Oh yeah. Uh huh.
0: Unpaid endorsements.
1: Cool. So uh because it's unpaid, you can't endorse scriptation. <laughs> <laughs> uh but uh yeah, Matt, do you have anything? I do. I have like one that I'm
0: I'm very new to. Pretty excited about. Uh so I heard an interview with um a jazz musician named Kamasi Washington. He's like a LA guy. Yeah. Do you know Kamasi? I'm like so late to the name, game for sure. I'm so late to the game on this dude. He's a sax player um, who's like play Basically if you've heard like sax on like any hip hop track in the last 10 years, he's probably the guy playing it. Um, but he's got these like, like his solo act is like a kind of psychedelic, new wave of jazz that's like so awesome and like modern feeling without like ever feeling gimmicky um and i'm really into it Uh, and really excited about it and i kind of i wish i played sax in high school pretty avidly and i wish that there was somebody cool um who wasn't born in you know 1945 (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean it's like this is like a young guy who's like super cool and sounds incredible and is like this incredibly gifted musician. So uh, Kamasi Washington is is the guy I'm I'm like just kind of diving into right now. And also, he is a avid Street Fighter II player, which is really funny to me. And that Like, he's played competitively. That's,
3: like, still a thing? Like, they have Street Fighter II tournaments? Oh, wow. yeah.
0: Yeah, Street, Street Fighter II and Marvel versus Capcom and a few other games that I am be less familiar Mortal with. Kombat? Is that well, so Mortal Kombat? Well, Mortal Kombat, I don't think people play competitively. There's a few, like... Uh, older games that people still care about and are kind of the gold standard of fighting games that people will still play in, in real Do you think
3: anyone wins by just putting their elbow on the buttons? Because that's my strategy whenever I play those games.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think... Should I uh, enter gnashing, a tournament? Is that you know, what you're suggesting? I, you know, maybe if there isn't a buy-in and people seem nice, <laughs> you could have some fun. Um... <laughs> Yeah, that's my endorsement, Kamasi Washington. Cool, uh, Steve. Steve. Yeah, you got. Oh, anything? I
3: do. Um, so my dad is really into coffee. Like, just he has all of these coffee gadgets. So cool, naturally, dude. I decided to bother my mom and get my dad another gadget um, mm-hmm. for coffee, okay. and it is the Aeropress. Not sure if you guys are aware of what this is, but it's like a whole thing. I am not. So it's 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 similar to a french press but it it was created in california i don't know like 10 years ago or maybe a little bit less uh it's a really simple way to brew a single cup of coffee if you it's about 30 bucks you can get on amazon you basically pour your grinds in this um little tube and then You pour some water in, you mix it, and then you press it out. And cleanup is super easy. Um, But the crazy, so uh, I got it from my dad. My dad liked it that he got it back for me. (laughs) Wait, does it make cold brew or it's hot? It's hot coffee. Okay. So yeah, it's it's very sim. I mean, it's similar to how you use a a French press, right? Like you pour your grinds in, you pour water in, like like combine a French press and like a big.
0: Syringe, yes, like like a pastry syringe yes, or something that you
3: pu- yeah, and you push. So uh, filled with scalding, filled coffee. with coffee. What could go wrong? But like the 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 crazy thing about this is, it's such like a simple little device, but there are Aeropress competitions, and there's all of these methods for brewing. So, like, they give you the traditional method on the box that's, like, brew it this way with this temperature. And then you go on YouTube for AeroPress, and, like, everyone's using the inverted method and doing it with, like, this many grams of coffee for, like, on this temperature for this time. Like, this is how long you press it out. Like, it is a whole culture in itself. And now, like, every year there's a competition for who can brew the best AeroPress coffee. And I have to say, like, I don't know if I'm going to do this every day, but it is, like, Enjoyable, Like it's an enjoyable way to make your coffee. So
1: AeroPress, that is my
3: recommendation.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I'll check it out. Yeah, man. I, Matt and I love coffee.
0: Love coffee. I think the to me, the big selling point is like it's also it's pretty fast and it's a single cup. So if you're not brewing for a bunch of people, you just want your cup of coffee in the morning and you've got hot water, you're drinking a cup of coffee pretty quickly. A,
2: yeah. Whereas
0: I'm a Chemex guy and Chemex, oh. you know, it'll take... 30 minutes before I'm really done. Brewing. Yeah,
3: I am. I'm like, uh, I gotten into cold brew, um, like a cold brew concentrate where you just put the ground grinds in a big French press and like, let it steep overnight and then have mm-hmm. your concentrate for the fridge. That is, that's like a really easy cup of coffee every morning, but the AeroPress is nice just cause it's, it's like a little adventure every morning, like an enjoyable yeah. thing and clean up is super easy. It's, it's great. It's just great. Steve, you're drinking the coffee of the future.
1: Yeah, and I salute you. <laughs> I still uh, drink my Starbucks Via instant coffees. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's pretty good, though. Take about 10 seconds to make. because We have like an instant hot water thing, which I've endorsed Yeah, before. the Via
3: <laughs> is good. That is, that is you know, hey, it's better than Folgers. Yeah. Um, it does the yes. job. And it comes in little packets.
1: Yeah. And one cup yeah. real quick. Have, have you guys been to Phil's coffee, too? With a Z? Yeah. Yes. I
3: haven't had coffee coffee from Phil's. I probably had like some sort of latte situation.
1: They do single brews. I don't actually even think they have espresso. Uh, they might. I, I I could be wrong, but I they it's do. really good. but it it that's not that's the not. reason to go to Phil's. What's Fills? the reason yeah. they go to Phil's yeah. they have like Just, just the coffee coffee. Oh, I yeah. did it yeah. wrong. I did it totally yeah. wrong.
0: It's kinda of like you went to like, you know, a fancy ice cream place and ordered a slice of cake.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got a Cheesecake Factory. Yeah, you messed up, Steve. You or messed like, up. Yeah. In the yeah. next draft of your life. Oh, man. <laughs> remember to <laughs> bring the writing note it. over. Um, so I don't really have an endorsement, but I have like a weird observation from today. Today's November 6th, uh, which is funny because our previous episode we recorded yesterday on November 5th, the day before the election. Today is the day of the election. And I talked in the last episode about how I just directed these commercials for Keebler Crackers. And I want to put them on Facebook, but I was like, of course I'm not going to post anything on Facebook today. It's election day. People are just much more interested in the election than some little commercial I'm Yeah, only
0: post a selfie with your I voted sticker. (laughs) Right. Everything else seems kind of inappropriate. It's Stranger Things Day. I don't know if you saw
1: that.
3: Oh, no. It's like the 20th or 35th anniversary of the disappearance of Will Byers or something
1: like that. Uh, Oh, that's I didn't see that Netflix had some Stranger Things stuff, but... Uh, but the observation I made is that because it's election day, there's so many people just like hanging out on Facebook today just like waiting to read what's going on, like in their office jobs and just like refreshing the page that it's not a great day to like post something big and new that you want to <laughs> show people, Right. but it's a good day to like skate off of all this, like kind of un. Uh, this chaotic attention. So I posted just a picture, or we'd posted a picture from the podcast that we took uh, from a different interview, and I had just made some reference to the the election and how people should, you know, I don't care who you vote for, but I vote that you should listen to this next, to our next podcast, or something super dumb that barely made any sense. But off of that post, got like a ton of likes on it, which normally I wouldn't, (laughs) and I think it's just because I posted it today where there's just a lot of people like hanging out on Facebook. So, um, so my observation is, even though it's not a great day to promote big things, it's a good day to promote little things. Uh, whenever there's a big event going on, if it's like the Super Bowl or the Oscars or Election Day or something, New Year's Eve, you know, uh, it's a good day where people are paying attention to the world to just kind of make a little the, statement. The
3: art of piggybacking onto a hashtag. That is the art of social <laughs> media, Instagram especially. Exactly.
1: Um, well, cool. Well, if we want to find out more about you, Steve, do you have a website? Or um, anything?
3: I ha- Yeah, you can go to scriptation.com and look at all the stuff we've got there. We've got a blog. You can chat with us on there, too, if you have any questions about the app. You can look at my IMDB to see the stuff I did.
1: <laughs> cool. And your last name is V-I-T-O-L-O. Yes. Um, well, awesome. Well, if you want to find out more about this podcast and things we endorse and scriptation and all that stuff, you can check out our website at just We are on all social media: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at at justshootitpod. I am at smitey Leg. and I'm at Mr. Madenlo. This episode was edited by Christopher Robert Gray.
0: Our producer is Madeline Rosewatt. Uh, and our webmaster is Ewan Williams. The music you are listening to right now is by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar.
1: Leave us an iTunes review if you can. Thank you, and we will talk to you later. Thanks, everyone.
2: Bye.